Now, it's time to put it all on the table through mediation. Your host, Teresa E. Keeves, is a professional mediator, here to educate, inform, enlighten, and inspire everyone about the great benefits in the process of professional mediation to resolve conflicts, disagreements, and disputes relating to business or personal matters. Now, here's your host, Teresa E. Keeves. Good morning, everyone out there. This is uh, Teresa e-, e. Keeves, and I am your host for Put It All on the Table Through Mediation. It's another beautiful day here in Arizona, although cooler temperatures, and we have been experiencing a lot of wind and more overcast here recently in the valley. I'm sure that I have told you all out there that I'm not broadcasting every week. I have shifted to broadcasting every other Thursday. So please mark your calendars, and I want to mention that For all of my listeners within the Mountain Standard time zone, I am now broadcasting at 7 a.m. And that is because although I am located in Arizona, I am broadcasting out of Illinois, one of the many states that engages the spring up and fall back time process. Therefore, that is why I am broadcasting one hour earlier than before on TalkZone.com. Now, and although I am not broadcasting every week, um, as I previously was, it goes by quickly for me to talk again with you to my listeners who I enjoy talking to. And I'm always looking forward to discussing topics of interest. And I want to add that should you have a topic that you would like for me to discuss on my radio program, please uh, feel free to get in contact with me. Um, give me a call and or send me an email and I'll give you that contact information shortly. And I want you to know that that one of my prime reasons for having this show is that because I want to educate individuals about the great benefits that are contained within the mediation process and that a well-seasoned, knowledgeable, professional mediator can assist you in your conflicts, your disagreements that you are now facing in your life. And this and that this professional do not have to be an attorney. For example, I am an independent professional certified non-attorney mediator. And there are a number of us out there ready to guide you to an amicable resolution. Okay, the topic of today's show is can community gang related issues benefit from mediation? And as I told you during the end of my last show on April 2nd, that the topics of gangs and the possibility of mediating their conflicts would be discussed, and I would have a panel to discuss this on my show. Well, I have two well-educated and well-informed professionals to join in on a lively and informed program today. Introduce them to you. The fabulous Sandy Roberts. She is an adjunct faculty in the psychology department at Phoenix College. She is a board member of the Arizona Association for Conflict Resolution, where she helps schools implement peer helper and mediation programs. She has been in the crisis and behavioral health field for over 20 years, and she has a master's degree in clinical psychology, and she is certified by the State of California Department of Mental Health as a trainer of trainers in crisis intervention and suicide prevention. With her unique sense of humor, Sandy has fused unconventional approaches to achieve amazing results. She assists clients to understand how they and others show up 
in their personal and professional behavior and communication. She also worked with those in ultra high stress and high visibility, I'm sorry, high visible professional positions and careers. This includes the military, the police, the fire, government, corporations, and the sports field. She was my guest on my December 4th broadcast as she and I discussed mediating differences in a world filled with turmoil. She is a phenomenal woman. Now, my next guest is my amazing brother, Reginald C. Campbell, who is my frequent guest on my show. His credentials are he has a B.A. in mass communications and liberal arts. He is certified mental health professional. He is certified child welfare caseworker. He is certified in trauma therapy. He is also certified BSM-4 Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And he told me that he's going to be um, using the BSM-5 Diagnostic Statistical Manual uh, coming up here shortly in his work. He has 10 years of experience in dealing with the beginning, ending, and ending stages of HIV and AIDS. He has 20 years of psychological caseworker juvenile court experience, and client substance abuse issues. He is a member of the American Counseling Association and the Psychological Association. In May of 2015, he will have completed his master's in clinical mental health counseling. Amazing, talented, and knowledge is all I can say. Good morning, Sandy and Reginald, and thank you for being on my show this morning. Good morning. I'm delighted to be here. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Good morning, Sandy. How are you? I'm great. Great to meet you. Yeah, cyberspace. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Nice to see see you on the radio. Right. Yes. (laughs) You know, my my brother is going to be moving here um, in about a a week. So that that would be good. I'll, I'll be very happy when he's here. Okay, once again, thanks for joining me, and I really appreciate you engaging um, with me and um, my my listeners on this very important topic. But I would like to say to our listeners, should you want to engage me and my guests with a question or comment, please call in at 1-888-463-6748. That's 1-888-463-6748 or 1-888-GO-FOR-IT. That's a very simple one. One eight eight eight. Go for it. Okay. All right. Let's get right into it, guys. The topic for this program is a very important one, I think. Can community gang-related issues benefit from mediation? Now we all know gangs have been around for hundreds of years. However, what a lot of us do not know about gangs is when or what the approximate inception. Um, um, of them. Like, when did they start? Now, Hollywood makes a lot of, uh, movies about gangs. Like, uh, most recently, The Gangs of New York in 2002 and earlier movies about Al Capone and then even earlier Jesse James and his gang. But as I stated earlier, what is some history about what gangs, when gangs started? Well, as I was studying this topic, you guys, to expand my knowledge about gangs, I came across some really interesting materials, okay? So there was one I came across, um, Reginald and Sandy. It was titled Gangs Before Thrashers, Thrasher States. And uh, it said the word gang comes from, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correct, Ganji. 
I thought that was interesting. Have either of you ever heard that before? I haven't. No, I haven't either. Yeah. They said that uh, it's a term originally meaning a journey, but later referring to a, a ganji of sailors like in the 15th century. And it also said gangs of outlaws or wild young men came into common usage, usage by Shakespeare. <laughs> I didn't know that about Shakespeare. Okay. So then it, it, it also states that two secret societies are especially important for uh, U.S. gangs as well as gangs around the world both the Chinese triads and the Italian mafia and Camorra. All right. And, and it has existed at least since the early 1800s. Well, you know, that's, that's over 200 years ago. So now here we go with all of the information this country knows about the aforementioned, particularly in the area of how this can affect our kids. You know, the formulation of gangs in major cities, for example, and the terror that they have and still cause today, why do you think they still have so much power and yet this country hasn't done a whole lot to curtail and or diminish their activity, particularly as of late? Who wants to go first? Sandy, you can, you can go first. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, it, it just, I, I may be so way off track, but I think that, um, going back to when you started to talk about gangs and hearing about them and stuff like that, I think my first major awareness was the movie West Side Story. And in a way, I think it kind of, oh, I don't know, it, it glamorizes it in a, in a good, bad way. And even mm-hmm. though there's a sad ending and everything, um, there's that sort of insinuation that, you know, I have my side, I have my side, and, you know, and then we can figure out you know, after after something terrible happens, we'll figure out what to do. Um, and, and that's kind of the first thing that I think of when you talk about that. I, I also grew up in Chicago, and mm-hmm. there certainly was a lot of gang situation there. And I actually do know of someone um, who was killed by a gang um, because he wouldn't change the supplier of the meat that he was buying uh, for his restaurant. Now, so that was mm-hmm. more of a Chicago Mafia type of a situation. Uh, yeah. So those are my, you know, my early childhood growing up awarenesses of it. Um, and that. Of, but, of, of, go ahead, Reg. Okay, okay Reginald, um, what's your thoughts? Okay, uh, my thoughts on gangs are um, th- that gangs originally began as a way to. Um, to protect uh, different communities, protect different uh, ethnic groups. Um, And then as that grew, uh, some of these guys saw uh, opportunities to make money and make money uh, legally. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there, there was a, a, an Irish mob, there was a Jewish mob, there was, there was an Italian mob. And so, um, you know, with a lot of Irish immigrants, it was a way to protect each other. It was a way to, to get jobs. Um, and then uh, during Prohibition, uh, a lot of these groups, Italian-Jewish and, and uh, Italian mob, they saw ways to make money through, through liquor and, and transporting liquor and other things like that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the lotto is, is nothing but um, 
an exact copy of the of, of the policy game, which began in Harlem in the 1920s. Uh, uh-huh. It was a way for um, basically the black mafia during that time um, uh, to make uh, for people to to make money, and so mm-hmm. the Italian mafia saw a way of bustling in on that to make money. So therefore, now you have you know an organization. Um, that was just to assist people make money. Now, there's another organization, the Italian mob started to try and muscle in on that to make money, and at the same time making money during prohibition with, with, with liquor. So mm-hmm. and then also I have to say a lot of gangs started, you know, it's a societal problem. Um, yeah. A lot of the young men that I work with and have worked with over the past 20-some-odd years um, they're they're looking for a way of of belonging. Dad is gone, mom is gone, uh, a dad is in jail, uh, a mom is on drugs, you know, on and on and on. And the gangs use that as a way to rule, to pull that in. Oh, we're we're your family, you know. Mm-hmm. We care about you. Uh, uh, we'll buy you that pair of shoes. Now you do this, you know. So. So young men at that time were looking for a way to belong, looking for somebody to belong to. And that's how yeah. uh, the Blackstone Rangers, who later became the Black Keystone Rangers, and, and the Maniac Disciples uh, still use those same methods to pull these young men in. Yeah. And um, I would like to just say that, you know, that's that's ironic. We all grew up in Chicago, by the way. And uh, so we so we are very privy, um, particularly being baby boomers to all of the um, uh, negative activity that went on there in Chicago um, with um, um, about, you know, about gangs. And and um, and I'm and I'm sure that my brother knows someone who has lost their life from gangs Um and I know someone who lost their life from gangs too. It's a really sad situation. And I'm glad, um, uh, uh Reginald, you touched on that about wanting to belong because we're going to get into that, um, a little bit later on in the show. But I would like to, um, pose another question to you guys. Now, Chicago, and I'm glad that we're all from there, now being called Chirac because of all of the gang violence going on there and it is highly affecting the communities. It is also said that one reason the violence is so wet widespread is that there is a lack of police officers. Like one report stated that the city is a thousand police officers short. And I, for me, I think that's just one uh, reason, of course. As we know, it's more needed than that. A thousand, I, I say that if they're saying a thousand, I think it's like six thousand. But let's talk about the police shortage for a moment. Just how beneficial do you think this would be for the city of Chicago now being called Chirac to have more police officers on the streets? Uh, you know, I, I don't think that that's really the answer. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm seriously, I mean, my family that are police and everything else, so I'm, I'm not disparaging that. But if we don't change the mindset, uh, you can put 10,000 more on the street and it's not going to make any difference. It, mm-hmm. with, and, and what you're talking about, what really excited me about you know, being able to be on your show today was looking at other ways like the mediation to, to help actually address the literal problem and the people involved mm-hmm. in perpetuating the problem. And you know, I, I was right on. I mean, Reginald, that was 
so true about, you know, the gangs or the new family and for so many people. And it is where they go, and they go for where they're accepted, and then they're willing to do things. And even if it gets out of control and beyond what they really want to do, they still end up having their loyalty to their new family. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so I don't think police officers, you know, in any number, I know, yes, we need them, but I don't think it's going to solve the problem. I don't think brute force is what we need to solve the problem. We need to get under the problem and deal with the people who are having the problem and help them. Exactly. Brother? I totally agree with what Sandy said because um, uh, still being here in Chicago, uh, still working with gang members as as I do, um, I, I totally agree. It's not the number of police officers. Sure, you can always have more police officers, but the police can't be everywhere 24-7, you know. So I don't mm-hmm. think it's, it's that number. Again, I think it goes back to the societal problem. From what mm-hmm. I see with the young man that I currently work with, um, uh, maniac disciples, four-corner hustlers, uh, Latin kings, uh, even Crips and Bloods over the past 10, 15 years have have come east to Chicago, Detroit, and, and, and other cities. Um, you know, it, it's, going, it's, it's a family problem. It's a exactly. societal problem. Mm-hmm. Those things began with the family. And when any society and any family, when you see the breakdown of society, look at where that family in society, in that country, in that state, what's the status of that family? Whenever I have a case and a case comes in before me and I'm working with a young man or a young woman in cases as well, the first thing I look at is what is the family situation. And I'm telling you, and I'm sure Sandy um, will agree with this, 98, 99% of the time is from a broken or dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree with um, what, the, what the both of you said. And um, which is that is for me, it's like anything. If you want to know why you're somewhere, look at the history. It is a societal problem. It is also the lack of the family structure, something that I talk about um, quite often. And I talk about it um, um, with my grandchildren and things as I'm teaching them about the uh, the world is that how the how the family structure um, used to be quite strong, although we all have always had gang problems. But what my point is, is that the problems with gangs is now what I'm referring to is just off the chain. And that's because people, even people that are baby boomers that entered this beautiful world when, when all of us did, they have, they have fallen off. They have become disconnected. And I say that it's disconnected from the source. One other thing, um, within the societal structure that I'm saying that it is education. And that's a whole nother, oh, that's a whole nother show. Um, like for example, you may have a young man or a young woman who was in the gang and then they're, um, they, you know, they've gotten on the, on the right foot because they've had some wonderful people. Um, to help them such as ourselves to help them get on the right foot. And then when they get ready to go to college, the country makes it hard for them to get into college to get an education. So right now I'm going to take a short break, um, guys, and then we're going to come back and I want to talk about, um, uh, more about the uh, violence that's in Chicago. Stay tuned. Do you 
have disagreements with your landlord regarding your home or apartment that you are renting? Or have you fallen behind in your HOA payments and you cannot reason with the HOA Association for resolution of your issues? I can assist you. I am an independent professional mediator. My name is Teresa E. Keyes. Give me a call at 480-283-7270 or email me at Teresa at MediationTalkShow.expert. You do not have to litigate your disagreements. They can be professionally mediated. The process of professional mediation is an effective, efficient, timely, and less costly method for resolving your disputes. Please give me a call for a 0283-7270. Now it's time to put it all on the table through mediation. Here's your host, Teresa E. Keeves. Thank you for returning with me and my guests. I have Sandy Roberts and uh, my brother Reginald Campbell. And the topic of today's show is can community gain related issues benefit from mediation? Now, um, you know, because time goes by so fast because we have such meaty um, uh, questions and responses, I want to move on uh, to the next one. Um, February 24, 2015, an assistant professor of sociology at UW-Madison, whose name is Robert Vargas, he wrote an article about studying regarding the impact of Chicago gang violence. He wrote this article because he noticed the negative effect it has on children at a local youth group. This youth group of of children that he was at, he was teaching them there. And one of the children said, um, we have got we've got to leave because someone is being initiated in a gang. And so they were afraid because they didn't know if shots were going to ring out or or some other type of negative uh, action. Um, This gentleman goes on to say in part, um, he says in part. Uh, the following. He says that it's remarkable how much we actually don't know about the effectiveness of taking out the leadership of organized crime. It's one of the most common ways that enforcement go after criminal groups, but it's also one of the most understudied interventions. Targeting one group isn't going to be effective because another group is going to come and take their spot. He says that I feel like the ideal thing is if you're going to disrupt a relationship you need to supplement that by doing something to mend that relationship. I think that the last statement I just read is is pretty is a pretty powerful one. Now, my question to you both is this: What role, if any, do you think professional mediation can play for mending a relationship? For example, sitting all parties involved in a gang, you know, their top members, talking about their conflicts, their disagreements. For example, sit them down in a room and put it all on the table with what concerns, what desires, their wants, and stating what they don't want can be discussed and possibly written into an agreement. What are the possibilities of what I just said? Reginald, you go first. Okay, I I think mediation can definitely work uh, in situations like that. I have seen it work um, myself. I look at mediation as Mediation slash negotiation. It's 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 taking two warring factions and putting them together to make a decision to stop fighting. It, it's no different from um, the Paris Peace Talks in 1968 during the Vietnam War. Uh, it's no different from uh, the 
the negotiating and mediation that uh, Secretary of State Kerry uh, is doing now uh, regarding our, uh, Iran and and the and you know building a potential nuclear bomb. So mediating gangs, and I have seen this, you know, definitely in in the past of bringing those two warring factions, like the example mm-hmm. I used in, in the Paris peace talks, two warring factions, two two countries. You have two warring, or three warring factions at times in, in games, depending on who's fighting over, over what territory. Mm-hmm. Sitting them down, everybody wants something, everybody needs something, everybody's gonna lose something. Uh, mm-hmm. basic, uh, basic mental health therapy is if you take something from someone, you've gotta give them something. Exactly. Uh, with negotiated with gangs, if you're taking something away from them, you gotta give them something. And exactly. So a lot of times, uh, mediation can be the one and only thing that can get people together, get these young people together, um, to stop fighting. So, what mm-hmm. are you going to give them? Are you going to give them job training? What are you going to give them? Are you going to give them give them food? You know, basic things like food. Uh, what are you going to give them? Are you going to give them substance abuse counseling? Uh, are you going to give their parents substance abuse counseling? So, you know, it can get real, very deep and very complicated, but be very, very, um, uh, uh, a very good way of stopping, uh, you know, gang society. But again, with that mediation, you always have to give somebody something. Exactly. Exactly. Sandy? Oh, completely. 100%. Um, I would love to be able to tell you a true story of an intervention uh, that that happened several years back. But mm-hmm. the, the evolution of the main person that was involved in it has just been absolutely amazing. And I believe it can be repeated, and, and it is giving something. You do. If, if you make a void, you have to sell it. There's absolutely no doubt, and, and that's what they need. Mm-hmm. Because, the, you know, I, I just want to echo something that Reginald said. Um, about uh, mediation and negotiation. And the thing of it is, is that I I feel that, um, well, you all know how I feel about the mediation process. And, um, and, and, and this is not to, to, you know, to put a, you know, a, a, a stick or something in the, in, in, we know with the, uh, the people who are actual lawyers. But the, but the thing is, is that, <clears throat> excuse me, in actuality, in all of my studies and my research, people are moving toward um, in greater numbers <clears throat> than that's being reported for different avenues to resolve their issues. And one of the and one of the reasons that I feel that I see that people go on and continue to do the things that they go on and continue to do is because the system that is now put in place is not working. It's quite obvious. Um, you know, to me, that is that is not working. Um, people don't want to be shouted at. People basically want to be listened to. And that falls under the same realm as um, what Reginald has said and what you have said, Sandy, and <clears throat> excuse me, what I had said in my um, uh, piece before we started talking about this, that if you disrupt a relationship, you need to supplement that by doing something to mend that relationship. And in the and in the, the, the mannerisms that our court systems are now, there is no mending. There's someone that's telling you what what you're going to do. And that's it. You know, in the mediation process, 
um, um, it's just like with John Kerry, the, the, the fabulous thing that, that he did. And he went over there and he, he's talking to Iran and things. And it, and there's a lot of give and take, uh, during these processes. And, and, and people are learning in these processes, which is a huge key to the mediation, uh, professional process. That's, that's what I think. What do you guys think? I think it's huge. I, I had the privilege of sitting in on a on a gathering with a group that came from Israel, and they came to talk to the board from the Arizona Association for Conflict Resolution to get some ideas on negotiating. And mm-hmm. it, it was so powerful. I, I was so privileged to be there. It was worth being on the board. Um, that I just, it was amazing. And it was five women who were involved in different aspects of um, trying to keep the country safe and people safe. And one of them was actually in charge of, she was the a police commander in charge of Ben Gurion Airport. How would you like to be responsible for that? Mm-hmm. Wow. Reginald? Uh, you know, I have to go back and say that negotiation and talking, if you don't talk, nothing nothing's going to happen. Um, so, Two people, I've seen clients uh, who have not talked and they are, they have disagreements and they have, and, and when these two people sit down and talk, they discover that they have something in common. They discover that, that, you know, if nothing else, or, but, you know, hey, my, my cousin attended that certain school or, or, or my friend went over here, used to live over there. And, and when you start talking, when two human beings have the opportunity to sit down and talk, it's amazing that of, of the things that can come about. That's why, and, and I don't mean to switch to, to mm-hmm. a political thing, but, you know, I'm a history and, and political horse as well. Um, uh, this not speaking with Cuba for all of these years, if you don't talk, nothing's going to happen. Exactly. When you talk, mm-hmm. when you uh, renew the relationships that the president has with with Cuba, you know you have things in common. There's trade that that can that can happen. You know there are relatives that can now go back and forth and and, and visit each other. There's there's businesses that will will locate to Cuba. Those businesses will then uh, uh, bring that product, whatever is made. Back to the United States, a person will buy that product, so that money goes into the economy. So by just talking and giving mm-hmm. and listening to each other, so many wonderful things can happen. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that talking is a wonderful thing. Um, uh, on that same vein about Cuba, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you and I have uh, uh, talked about that, uh, brother, in our private time. And I think it's a wonderful thing. And I was very, very elated to know that they have that this president is opening opening that closed door again, because the reality is, is that at the end of the day, like everyone is saying, we all need one another. We all need one another when and when man and when I say man, I mean, men and women, when we all collaborate. It's, it's, it's phenomenal the things that we can accomplish, you know, when we collaborate on, on things together. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, now often when there are conversations about gangs, we hear the panelists on NPR, for example, talk about the reasons formulation of gang members are so fruitful among our youth. And a couple of profound reasons are 
because individuals want to belong. That's something that um, you guys uh, touched on earlier. And disenfranchised economic reasons is another which in itself can be a can be a, a it could be another program about the disenfranchising of economics i'd like to hear your comments on that go ahead Vince. sandy original go ahead brother okay um you know sometimes when i put when i listen to or, or see panels um uh who have not really been in the forefront, been really a grunt, you know what they used to call uh, the frontline soldiers in Vietnam, grunt. And 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 I consider myself a grunt because I have been and continue to be on the front line of these things that 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 are happening. That a lot of things that are said have a good meaning, but but they miss the mark. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, we have to look at drugs, the appeal of drugs and people being on drugs, which makes, which makes money, unfortunately. It, it makes money. And unfortunately, there's always going to be an element, and this is really unfortunate for me to even say this, there's always going to be an element of, of human society that's going to want drugs. And when they get that drug, now they're hooked on that drug, now they need that drug, so that's money. So that's why mm-hmm. a lot of gangs in the past 20 years went just from fighting over territory to fighting over territory for drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, similar to, uh, you know, back in the day when the Italian mafia fought the Jewish mafia for the certain amount of, of uh, nightclubs to provide liquor because it was a drug. It was illegal. It was a drug. Uh, now, now, there could be something, a whole different conversation when I hear people say, well, these certain drugs and marijuana should be uh, should be legalized, and that just you know that just sends me off. But that's a whole different thing. When I hear people say that, spend one day with me in a substance abuse facility with mm-hmm. thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen year olds, and tell me how it would be okay to legalize drugs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Sandy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, brother. Were you finished with your comment? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. All right, Sandy. Let's hear from you. Uh, that's really well stated. Very, very well stated. Um, you know, my own experience with a gang situation uh, went back quite a few years ago, and it's really empowering people to try something different. And I had started a, a peer helper, peer mediation program in a high school up in Northern California, and. I had I took a young man in. He was a senior in high school, uh, definitely a troublemaker, uh, and he actually came into the program as an alternative to being expelled uh, from school. Very bright when he actually showed up and did the work, but getting him to actually show up was a very difficult thing. And so he went through. Uh, I would take the the youth on a weekend training, and what actually happened was shortly after we had a training, I took a small group of students, like five students, literally, and did a very intensive training in the uh, mediation process with them. And he was one of the ones that was trained. And then about literally three weeks after the training, I got a call from the high school vice principal 
and he calls me at home at 6 o'clock in the morning, and he says, literally, I'm ready to try your stupid program. So you sort of get the idea he wasn't a great fan of this, you know. Okay. <laughs> so my, my response was, I'll be right there. <laughs> That's exactly what I would have said. You know, fine. Yeah. yeah. Me and my yeah, stupid right. program will be there in, in less than an hour. Here I come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I, you know, I feel it to the school. And he tells me that the night before there had been a huge fight, um, gang related, at the local taqueria. Now we're talking Northern California, we're talking Samoan, we're talking Hispanic, we're talking, you know, field workers. I lived in a community that was, you know, 50% field, you know, workers and 50% um, living on the ocean and that in nice homes. And it was um, quite a divide. And so he tells me all about this violence and, and everything that had happened, and, and there's three different high schools involved, and they're threatening to, you know, come over and shoot each other, and it's like he's like crazy. You know, it, it really has to be bad for him to be ready to try my stupid program. So mm-hmm. I'm racking my brain, and so I go and get this young man who admits that he had missed the fight by three minutes that. He, he, just, he just pulled up too late, and the fight was already being broken up by the police. Wow. And, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> and, that. and so I said, you know, perfect. Yeah, I, so I mean, I is it, you know... I, yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I'm not trying to interrupt you, but um, uh, we are going to need to take a break right now, and then when we, when we come back, I want to finish hearing the rest of your story, Sandy, Okay. Come back with us. Do you have disagreements with your landlord regarding your home or apartment that you are renting? Or have you fallen behind in your HOA payments and you cannot reason with the HOA Association for resolution of your issues? I can assist you. I am an independent professional mediator. My name is Teresa E. Keyes. Give me a call at 480-283-7270 or email me at Teresa at MediationTalkShow.Expert. You do not have to litigate your disagreements. They can be professionally mediated. The process of professional mediation is an effective, efficient, timely, and less costly method for resolving your disputes. Please give me a call, 480-283-7270. You're listening to Put It All on the Table Through Mediation with Teresa E. Keeves. Thank you for returning with me. I am Teresa E. Keeves. I have two fabulous guests, Reginald C. Campbell and Sandy Roberts, and we are discussing can community gang-related issues benefit from mediation. And right before we took break, Sandy was um, continue. Uh, she was telling her uh, a story about uh, one an experience of um, one of the teachers that uh, at at the school there in a gang-related story. So continue on, Sandy. Oh, thank you. Uh, so anyway, the, the young man, uh, Manuel, uh, I put him and uh, two gals, my, my two really talented, skilled uh, mediators, um, Eliza and Jesse, and my blonde girls. And we got them together, talked about what had happened, and they agreed that they were willing 
to sit down with the warring uh, students and see if they can come to a peace agreement. And we went through a, a basic process of, of getting the agreement, you know, individually from each of the members to participate in this. And they were all pretty mad. I mean, one of them still had bruises. It was, you know, it was pretty ugly. And so we, we took them into my room at the school, which is our peer helper room, and sat them literally at a round table and interspersed them by degree of, you know, probability to get up and punch someone with uh, with manual in the middle between the, the warring ones and the girls in the middle between the others. And I had told him, I said, uh, your job here is to protect the girls. You need to keep these girls safe. And what ended up happening is, and I let them negotiate because they had the skills and I had to stay outside the room. I kept the door open about like three inches, but I mm-hmm. stayed outside. It was just a precaution in case anything happened. And they mm-hmm. sat in there for three hours. And when they came out, they had agreed to a peace that held like literally forever. And at the mm-hmm. end of the school year, which was just a couple months, was three months later, several things fell into place. One, um, Manuel really bought into that he can make a difference. And mm-hmm. he went to school. He didn't cut school anymore. He stayed very involved in the peer helper peer mediation mm-hmm. program. And one of the mm-hmm. counselors was actually able to get him a scholarship to college. And wow. he, um, and then the other things that happened is I took them with to speak to the eighth graders coming into, um, you know, who were going to be going to high school about what it was like to go to high school. And uh, and Manny kind of like stood against the wall for a while, you know, kind of posturing. And they all asked him, you know, are you a gang member? And he would say, well, you know, I used to be. And he told them, mm-hmm. and this just like, you know, took my, took my breath away and, and my heart. He said, what I learned was it takes more courage to walk away from a fight than to get into one. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. shared that with these eighth graders who are going to be coming up into high school who thought he was like, you know, hot stuff because he had this reputation as a gang member. And then we did an assembly for the um, juniors who were going to become seniors the following year. And mm-hmm. he did the same thing. He told them all that it took more courage to walk away than it did to get into the fight. And he called out. He had a brother and a cousin uh, who were juniors. And he pointed at them you know, in the middle of this assembly and said, you and you, you better be in this program next year. And they did. I mean, we we had, we had all his family members you know, <laughs> for, the, for the next several years. Wow! But he went, he literally went to college. He graduated from college. He came back and he taught at the school that he had been expelled from, or practically expelled from. And then wow. he went on from there to be involved in um, in gang intervention. I had, I was visiting up in that area. Ran into him at the grocery store. He hands me his card that has <laughs> his name on it, gang intervention specialist. Mm. And the, the mm. last I heard, he was teaching. He had gone on to get his master's and was teaching at college and, again, working to prevent gangs. So, you know, wow. one person like that can impact so many if we can get them involved in the process and mm-hmm. teach them a process where they actually have a respectable power that because mm-hmm. people want to make a difference we're, we're the three of us are doing this because we want to make a difference and, exactly and, 
and we've done the work. I mean, we've we've taken the classes, we've taken the training, we're getting our degrees, we're you know we're doing all of this so that mm-hmm. we can do the work. We keep our training going. You know, every mm-hmm. opportunity, you know, is I'm always going to something to learn something else. And mm-hmm. when we do that, and we can engage someone, for each person that we engage, there are hundreds and hundreds of touches that they can make to change a life. Also, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's my story. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you very much for the story. I really um, uh, appreciate you saying that because it, 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 it also, you know, your story also aligns with what I was saying um, earlier, and what I always say is that, you know, if we teach people how to better resolve their issues, you know, just think that, you know, if if we could have actually sat down and talked with the generals and and things on both sides of World War One and World War Two. Perhaps it would not have ever been, you know, Vietnam Wars. And I mean, that is just not the answer, you know. Uh, boots on the ground, and and I, I, my my gun is bigger than yours. Now that doesn't mean that we need to just totally get rid of our armed forces. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that we need to better negotiate, like Reginald has said. And like Sandy has said and I have said, that we need to better learn how to better negotiate so that we can come out with stories such as that um, um, uh, Sandy um, has shared, uh, you know, with us. Um, now, I, I'm running, you know, I want to make sure that I, you know, get get another another thing in here. I'm sorry, were you going to say something, Sandy? No, I won't. Um uh, uh, Original. I just wanted to ju- yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in and Henry real, quick, real quickly and say uh, th- that sure. is that is a wonderful story, Sandy said, and mm-hmm. and and that shows the power of negotiation, yes, and, and mediation. That shows if they will open the door and let people in, these these wonderful things can happen instead of just saying, oh, we've never had it, oh, we never. You know, uh, oh, oh, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, it, it's like it's like Robert Plant. Quick, quick story: Robert Plant, the, the the leader of Led Zeppelin, he was with another group, I think the Birds or something. Was and and this one guy told him, "Oh, your group will never will never work. Uh, you'll have a better chance of a Led Zeppelin flying than your group working." So that's mm-hmm. how they got the name Led Zeppelin. So in mm-hmm. Sandy's case, okay, we'll have your stupid group in. And once mm-hmm. that group got in, look what happened. Once Robert, once Robert Plant started that Led Zeppelin group, look what happened. You know, Sandy came in and was able to do these things, and 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 that is just so powerful. And it's and it's a shotgun method. Now this young man has done great things. Now look at all the people that he's going to affect, and the people that mm-hmm. that that go to that program, and the people that they're going to affect. You know, that's just what's so wonderful exactly. about. Exactly. Excuse me. Exactly. <clears throat> Sitting down and talking, and it's just like anything else, uh, to brother. And I'm going to say this, and you know, Sandy knows me too. She knows that I'm a realist, and I'm going to say it. It's just like anything else. Um, uh, you know, negotiation is a powerful tool. However, it has to be a certain person that has the wherewithal to be able to bring that tool to life. You know, mm-hmm. all mediators. And all lawyers are not good negotiators, and that's just the way it is. And when people are looking for a good mediator, 
uh, such as, you know, Sandy and myself, we're professional mediators, you know, mm-hmm. um, be sure that you, you know, you study them, you look at their background and, and see what it is because negotiation is a huge key, huge to, to, um, come into an amicable resolution during the mediation process. Okay. Now I want to say something I got about, we got about eight minutes, but I want to get a couple of more things in. Okay. okay. Game vi- I'm sorry, Richard, you wanted to say something? No, 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 I was just saying, okay. Oh, oh okay. All right. <laughs> gang violence statistics states that a gang used to be a group of workmen, which we, we you know, we, we remember that. Oh, there's a gang of, of men working over there. I thought that mm-hmm. was interesting, and they listed about five stats about gangs stated in, stated in part, and I'm going to read them kind of quickly. 772,500 people approximately are in gangs in the U.S., in L.A., about 59% of all homicides are gang-related. 24,500 gangs are currently active here in the U.S. Approximately 47% of gangs are Hispanic, 31% African American, 13% white, and 7% Asian. 45% of cities that have a population of about 25,000 people have seen an increase in gang violence over the last two years. Now, I would like to mention that the Bureau of Justice uh, Assistance has a 229-page document titled Addressing Community Gang Problems, a Practical Guide. Okay, now, did I read all of it? No. However, I'm sure I will. Now, Okay, our government has a practical guide for combating our gang problem in this country. What are a couple of your suggestions, uh, quickly, Sandy and Reginald, that our government can do to help this problem that is growing? Sandy, you want to go first? Uh, Education on mediation, for sure. Exactly. That's just what I think, Reginald. I, I totally agree. I have to go back to it being a societal problem. Um, education, um, health care, uh, when, when you're not healthy, you're, you're not going to go out. When you don't have food, you're not going to go out. I mean, when I was working at um, in District 89 uh, 20-something-odd years ago, one of the schools that I was working with, um, I was working very closely to the principal and vice principal, and and we were talking one day, and they said, you know, um, a lot of kids are coming here hungry. So I got together with um, a bakery company and a milk company and asked them, would they be willing to deliver for free? Would they be willing to deliver uh, uh, food, uh, uh, bagels, and things like that in the morning to this particular school? They said, mm-hmm. absolutely, no problem. We can, we can do that, you know. So I spoke with the principal, the vice principal, and the and the head of the cafeteria workers. They said, oh, Mr. Campbell, that would be fantastic. It's no problem. We can set it up for the kids, and, you know, they can come in, have something to eat before they go to class. So that's going to put something in their stomach where they're not hungry because a lot of these kids, the parents weren't around, they were on drugs, and these kids weren't being, being fed. Again, societal problems. So I'm thinking this will work. The principal was on board. Everybody was on board. So I go to the school board meeting, tell them about this stuff. I mean, I go in. I'm just happy. I'm just like, look, look what I brought. And they turned me down. They absolutely turned me down. And I left there in tears. I actually mm-hmm. left in tears. Now, 
the point is my kind of the kind of my, my main point is sometimes government gets in the way. I mean, yeah, they can sit around and they can have this, you know, this huge 800-page glossy manual about what should, what can we can be done. Get out the way and let a stupid program in and see what can happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, instead of sitting exactly. around. Exactly. Now, not just you guys, but we got about three, we got about three minutes. I'm sorry, brother. We okay. have about three minutes, but I want you to get your story out. So go ahead. So okay. if, if you can finish it up. Yeah. Around, just sitting around with all, you know, talking about all this. Let's have some of those stupid programs like Sandy brought in that school to see what happens. Exactly. And I mean, it's nice. And Sandy can attest to this. She and I share every year of, um, of, um, of, of training high school students for peer mediation. That's something that I will, I will always do. And when I go around and I'm talking to, um, uh, schools, you know, they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? We don't, no, we don't, we don't need that. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous until something like Sandy described happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to say that, yeah, time goes by so fast when we are talking and, um, and uh, we're, we're going to get together again and talk about, I think we're going to talk about more about this gang issue because it's, it's very, very needed here in this country, in our own community. And, um, um, Sandy, I know you're not a get up very, very early person, so I really appreciate that. My brother is used to me getting him up early and and um and and um, being part of my show. So I want to take this time to thank you both uh, for discussing this very important topic uh, with um, uh, me today, and I'm sure my listeners did as well. And in closing, um, you guys, I want to say, I want to quote uh, part of President Jack Kennedy's speech that he did from his inaugural address in 1961. And I feel that it is very apropos to our conversation that we had this morning. And it goes as follows. Those who ride the back of the tiger is inappropriately, in to inappropriately gain power, eventually end up inside the tiger. And I just think that is a fabulous quote. It's a reminder of to people that if you go out there seeking danger, you want danger, you're going to eventually end up being in danger yourself and not being able to get out. I want to say to you, thank you again for listening to me. I will be airing again two weeks from today. And as always, be kind to yourself and others. This is Teresa E. Keeves. 